Welcome back, Rebels, to another episode of Creative Thinking. You are joined with me, David Speed, and this lovely person, Yona Thomas. We're going to be talking today about um, a business that we decided to close. We're going to talk a little bit about our, well, let's do it. We'll do sort of a timeline of why we decided to open the business and then why we decided to close the business. And and yeah, it's not something that people normally talk about. So that's why it was really important for us to to actually talk about it. Because if we're going to be advising people every week on how to run their businesses and opening things and starting things, it's important to, we do always kind of get across of like, this might not work, but from that you will learn things and from that other businesses might grow from the ashes of the ones that don't fail. To have a failure under your, under your belt is like you're, you're just in the majority, like that's, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And it's, it's, it depends what you class as a failure as well, because a business closing, you know, it might just have, have run its natural course. Yeah, I suppose one of the frustrations for me is that I knew that it could work. We did feel like we had a really strong idea for Parlour, and I, I still do. It's something that I'm really proud of, the, the reason that we started it in the first place. Um, so we we felt really strongly that the tattoo industry had a bit of a gap in the market for people who wanted to go in and have a really lovely experience. From speaking to lots of our friends in the tattoo industry, from artists and from people who get tattooed. I mean, so I've, I worked in the tattoo industry before we started Graffiti Life and I, was, I tattooed for three years. And within that industry, it becomes very easy for artists to just, it, for it to just become another day at work. And what we tried to do with Parlour was always get across that we understand that every person coming in is one of the most important days of their life because they're going to be marked for the rest of their life. So we took that seriously. Mm. And that was something that we made sure that the artists that we employed at Parlour were on board with that ethos. And we had a very strong brand core message behind we want you to have a good experience in this place. And there's a number of factors that go into that. One of them is how the space looks yeah absolutely so we wanted people to feel um like they were in a bit more of a boutique space um that they were coming in they were offered a cup of tea or a coffee they were given a menu they were given magazines to read Uh, it was a really lovely environment to be in they felt comfortable and safe it wasn't down some dark alley or downstairs or it you know it was bright and airy and open and you could see what you were getting before you even went in the shop so it didn't feel like a, a dingy um, mysterious, scary, intimidating place. It felt warm and open and comforting and welcoming, really welcoming. That was the, the main thing that we wanted to get across is that people were welcome and they should feel safe there. And they should feel a bit like they were going to a posh hair salon or a boutique restaurant. You know, they're treated well and they have a really nice experience. Yeah, we borrowed a lot from other industries. And I think whatever whatever you go into, a lot of people will just get caught up within that whatever niche that their thing is. So say you're about to open a barbecue restaurant, you will probably look at every other barbecue restaurant and that's fine, do your research. But what could you learn from the chess tournament that you went to last week or the or the concert? Or like where are there things that are happening that are working really well that you can incorporate into your business? And that's exactly what we did with Parlour. And a lot of people... F- felt that it didn't feel like a traditional tattoo studio there was certainly no like loud heavy metal playing or skulls on the wall or anything like that it was absolutely not yeah very comfortable chic classy and it did have much more of a of like you say like a high-end hairdresser feel than it did a studio 
And it worked as well, because as soon as we started actually getting customers, um, people were asking oh, who designed the space? It's really lovely in here. It's not like a normal tattoo shop. And people were saying back to us exactly the things that we had in our manifesto, that they felt welcomed and comfortable and that they'd been looking for somewhere like this for ages, which is that was music to our ears, wasn't it? It was like people were actually seeking what we had created. So we were right in thinking that there was a gap there. There was a need for a welcoming, really friendly tattoo studio that didn't intimidate people. More than being proud of, of the interior side of things, I was I was proud that people were coming in and saying, I've been looking for this. And when I found it, I knew this was the right studio for me. And so as, as a side effect, this wasn't intentional, but as a side effect, we ended up getting something like 80% female customers and yeah. a lot of first time tattoos as well. That worked in our favour because we, we then embraced that. So rather than going... Because I, I remember when it happened and our um, the person who was working on our reception at the time thought this was terrible that we were getting 80% women because they they felt like they're, they're missing out 50% of the marketplace by not. And they were like, well, what can we do to get more men in? And we were like, no, go go with what's mm. working. We can, we can easily survive. There's enough women <laughs> yeah. to, to survive and keep the business afloat. So it was very interesting that when you create a space that feels comfortable, safe, that does appeal to women a lot more than men who maybe are just a bit more impu- impulse about their tattoos, who just go to a space and are just like, oh, whatever, and mm. and get done wherever. So, I think more, th- more than losing a market there, we were creating a market because mm. these were people that perhaps wouldn't have been tattooed otherwise. A lot of first timers, a lot of mums. So we'd, yeah. we'd do a first tattoo for a 21-year-old and then she'd bring her 45-year-old mum in. Mm. Yeah you know this the, the whole vibe of being welcome and protected and safe also then extended to the artists because a lot of the artists had been in studios and had really bad experiences I where mean, they almost were to, to the artists yeah. like literally every single one had had a bad experience somewhere or other and we employed mostly female artists that wasn't on purpose that was just because they fit what we were looking for and it does feel like it's an industry where if you are a girl, you will have experienced something. Unfortunately, you will have yeah. experienced something bad at some point. Yeah, unbelievable. So so the idea was to make it a welcoming space for the artists as well and somewhere that they would enjoy being and somewhere that they would feel safe and comfortable um, in a really beautiful environment as well. We invested in the studio and we'd got a, a space on Curtain Road, which is a very busy street in east london so we had invested heavily in into that so we needed it to, there was no more money f- to to kind of float it up it had to had at to least break even so, in the yeah. beginning yeah at what point do you think then we started to get into r- trouble into trouble that's interesting so I, th- I think it's more important to to know at what point we started to see success because this was a successful studio for three years mm. that we could have kept going but the reason that we closed it was time commitments of we knew what we had to do and we didn't have enough time because of our other businesses were growing so much we didn't have the time to commit to it. So so I don't know that it ever did start going wrong. Obviously, Corona would have put, would have put us out of business. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think in the beginning, what we had to do was we had to let people know that we exist because this is always the thing. As soon as you open somewhere or you start a project or whatever – if it's going to be for your job, then you need people to give you money to do that thing. So what we did in the early days was, firstly, we thought by having that space on Curtain Road that we would get a lot of walk-in trade, that people would walk past the shop and think, I want to get a tattoo, and they'd come in. 
did happen a little, a little bit. It happened a little bit, but not a lot. Mm. I mean, that that was that was something that we really overestimated. And given that, I mean, this is this is a little bit of a tangent, but we used to have a gallery for Graffiti Life on Cheshire Street, uh, just off Brick Lane in East London. And we noticed in that area that because we were running our business on the internet from the basement of that space. So we, we didn't need a, a public facing street, but it was a street made of public facing shops. And I mean, probably every two weeks there was someone going out of business and then a new business coming in and then they lasted a couple of months. And- yeah, it was it was the, the street for independent shopping, except that nobody really shopped there. So everyone loved that it existed, but nobody really went in and supported those shops. They um, So it was only the, only the shops that had an online business that was keeping them afloat yeah. would survive. And all retailers, I, I think people weren't doing their research very well. So all retailers would get very excited about a unit coming up on Cheshire Street. They'd get in there. They'd be open for six months to a year and then they disappear again because there was no passing trade which was heartbreaking for us because we we sort of you see these people with their big hopes and dreams and sinking all of their like tens of thousands into a shop and then coming in setting up and then six months later they're gone and then the next person with big dreams is in Mm. so at the end of cheshire street you have beyond retro so the hope was was always that people going to beyond retro would pop into the other shops along the way but it doesn't seem to be the street for that to happen but we did believe that having said that we did believe that looking at we we looked we went and spent time in curtain road watching how people were behaving and people were dipping into the shops and stuff so it was a very open bright open space but yeah what happened was 90 percent of our customers came from our website or our instagram i do think that by seeing that we were in the heart of shoreditch on our instagram or website that did help yes yeah. So I don't think the location was completely uh, um, irrelevant at all. Yeah. So Adam had a big part to play in the early days of the success of the business in that we all sat down and brainstormed what would be a good name for the shop. We came up with Parlour Tattoo because then we would rank highly on Google for Tattoo Parlour. It's that transparent. And but I also it is also liked, a cool name. Yeah, I liked the, the, the idea of it being a parlour because it really went with the brand of being a bit more boutique and a bit more welcoming and a bit more luxurious as opposed to yeah. something grungy. Yeah, so Adam built a website that reflected the space. And I, and I think he did a really good job on that of looking at your architecture and then reflecting what he saw in the brand physically the, the interior design of the space yeah was matched the website perfectly absolutely yeah, yeah it, it was mirrored on the website so people got a feel and we included lots of photos of the space and people could feel then on the on the website what it was like to be in the studio which i think really helped so so the website was a huge part for us um, adam did a lot of work in um, search engine optimization to make sure that our website started to rank for Tattoo Parlour East London, Shoreditch, Tattoos, all of those sort of, sort of like the keywords that, that would hit people. Um, and then then we started building our Instagram hmm. and we were very deliberate on how we did that. So knowing that we were going to open a tattoo studio in six months, eight months time, we started an account and just started sharing pictures of tattoos. And I think people normally wait until they start their business to get all of their social media in place. We started building an audience finding people that we knew had an interest in the kind of tattoos that we were going to be producing because we had a very specific style of tattoos that we wanted to produce for our clients. 
And we started posting those online, crediting all of the artists, of course. So it just became like a sharing page, one of those, you know, those art pages that like, like just share, sharing tattoos. But we made sure that we targeted only people that lived in East London. And the way that we did that was looking at other, like thinking about where our clients might be. So for example, they might be signed up with Frame, the gym, um, because that means that they're of a certain age, they're They've got disposable money, whatever. Um, and so we would then go through, see all of the people that were interacting with Frame and we'd start interacting with them. And gradually, gradually, you start to build a following because people see that you're doing something they're interested in, your things aligned. But we knew then as soon as we would flip the account when we opened the studio that we had a waiting audience of, I think it was a couple of thousand by the time we opened, wasn't it? I think it was more than that. We knew that as soon as we opened, we'd have people who lived in East London who were interested in tattoos, which is, that's a start. That's a great start. Mm. And it worked and our audience grew on Instagram as soon as we opened and actually had our own work to share. The audience grew quite quickly, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then we had, um, we picked sort of young artists, but artists that had styles that were very current, relevant and were resonating at the time. Um, and that so obviously then you have the power of the artists promoting the shop as well as us promoting the artists. And it's sort of that that cycle and feedback that could that could help. Um, and we also, because we had that kind of cool, trendy look, there were a few brands that got in touch and wanted to do different partnerships, which was great for the sort of publicity of the studio, but also for it brings in money like mm. if you can if you can partner with a brand that's a great way to make some extra cash so we did partnerships with um marshall the uh the amp in fact that's our marshall there yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was in the studio um so shout out to marshall for providing us that yeah they got two for the price of one yeah. <laughs> we had uh, we had strongbow take over our studio for four days um and make it the strongbow tattoo studio but that was only because, you know, we, we had a space that looked good. So, yeah, we, we felt like, you know, everything was on the right track. But I think for me, there were, there were key points where we started to see problems, cracks. And for me, the, the, the first one was, um, was when we hit the VAT threshold. I think the VAT threshold is about £80,000 now. So when you, when you start to make more than a certain amount of money, when you turn over a certain amount of money, you are then legally obliged to register for VAT. And we, I mean, one of the main things we wanted to do just for ease of customers is have the ability to pay on pay card, by card yeah. and do touch yeah. payments and stuff like that. And most tattoo studios, because they want to keep strictly on cash, you, you can't even pay with card. Yeah. So that was one of the things it's for us. It's a but, barrier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the, the main things. But but I mean, you always said that if we're going to do this, we've got to do it properly. And it's it's not like we only run a tattoo studio. We have several other businesses. So if we try and do like under the table dealings in cash, then then that could put all of our businesses in danger. So that was not yeah. a risk we were willing to take. It's just not something that we've ever done. And it's it's not something that I would ever, ever condone. So, um, but by doing that, by being completely 100% above board with the business, we were penalising ourselves. We felt like we were being penalised by the system for being honest. Um, because then all of a sudden, um, we either had to put our prices up by 20% to cover the VAT, um, which, you know, you don't go into a tattoo shop and expect to be charged £90 plus VAT. It's not It's yeah. not some, something that happens within the industry. But um, even though we were doing a 50-50 profit share with our artists, so we were only taking 50% and 50% was going directly to the artists, 
um, we were expected to pay 20% VAT on the entire 100%. Yeah, um, so, so that, then, and that's because we because we take full payment in the store. Yeah, and then and then we give fifty percent to the artist at afterwards. the end of the day. Yeah. Not it's not like you know we're we're paying them monthly or something. You know they get their money straight away. Um, but because we physically took the money from the customer, we were expected to pay twenty percent on the entire hundred percent. The artists would still get their fifty percent. So so we we'd end up you know with thirty percent ultimately left in our in our pockets which wasn't enough to cover rent so that started a huge long battle with the vat man where we had to prove that we were acting as an agent and that we should only pay 20 percent on our 50 percent not on the entire 100 percent so it's a bit, bit complicated but we ended up winning that battle which was i feel like a, a breakthrough for the industry i felt really really proud of that that was a significant moment but we spent a lot of time concentrating on that that took a lot of the effort that we should have been putting into our business it was really complicated and it was a battle and it was exhausting and there was little things after that where we weren't able to say things like our artists were Mm. we we had to refer to them as the artists that work at parlor the artists that work from parlor because we were yeah we were basically like the we work of of tattoo studio of of the tattoo world so instead of being a tattoo studio with a brand where we choose artists we weren't allowed to say that the artists worked for us or for parlor they were artists working from parlor as if they had a stall at a market yeah and we were the brand that was we were the market but they were the brands in their own right which you know we've we'd always promoted the artists as individuals as artists in their own right so that wasn't a problem but it was it, it started this kind of discord between us as a brand and the artists it was it was set, separate then we couldn't even talk about our studio in the in the way that we wanted to we couldn't say we're really happy that we are doing this this event this christmas we're you know we've got a flash day coming up that's a special event or we we've got a special offer on these or because literally we were advised that if we use that that terminology then the fat man would come <laughs> come yeah. and take back all the money that we had just uh you know what saved yeah just saved yeah so it was really tricky really tricky one and i think it's something that needs to be addressed in in that kind of industry uh, yeah but i don't think it will be until all shops are paying that which like until they're mandated to do so i don't think will happen but. well let's see what um coronavirus does to the cash the yeah, cash industry yeah, so that's going to be, be a, a bit of an overhaul there i'd imagine it'll be interesting yeah so that was the first thing that really really struck us for me i think it was um as soon as we had an artist that didn't work out mm-hmm. so we had an artist working for us that um i mean has since we've since sort of mended fences with and stuff but because we weren't there day to day we we employed a shop manager who we really trusted and who was was really great but she wasn't us and therefore she was treated by one of the artists as n- not an authority figure and um they got into a confrontation and it ended up where we had to where we had to let one of the artists go and at that stage i sort of realized because i'm not here every single day because uh, i think that's probably important uh, an important note to add we're currently at this time we're running like three other businesses and we don't have time to be in parlor every day so we set everything up we got everything established we built the website we got the social media we had customers coming in and then our goal was to kind of step away and hopefully let the artists do their thing because i don't i didn't want to 
get involved. I've been an artist. I've been on the other side. I didn't want to meddle in their affairs. Exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't that we didn't want to be there. It was more that we we wanted them to feel ownership of of their own careers and their own studio. It was it was it was theirs. And so long as they stuck to the the kind of the brand manifesto, you know, be be clean, be kind, be happy, be friendly, be welcoming. Um, then then it was theirs. It was their yeah, studio. We, we produced what we called the studio bible and and. There were lots of points in there, but really they could all be summed up with "be clean, be kind." Yeah, <laughs> those were those were our our no negotiation rules. That if you broke those, then then you were out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we had we been there every single day, I think we might still be in business. And, and I mean, were it our sole thing that we mm. was the only thing that we were putting time into, we would still be a business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is a really, really important thing to get across is that an idea can be really, really good and it can be successful. Um, but unless you're giving it your all, unless it's your main priority, it's never going to be as successful as it could be. I still really believe that Parler is a strong brand. It still exists as a brand. You know, hopefully someone will will buy the brand and, and do what we didn't manage to do with it, because yeah. I think it's an important thing to shake up the industry a little bit and, and give the industry a bit of a kick up the butt um, to start treating customers well and artists well. Mm. Um so uh, yeah, hopefully someone will take up that mantle, but we didn't have the time to put 100% into it. And yeah. so it didn't thrive 100%. So I think for th- after, after three years, everything seemed to be going pretty well. And we were very positive about the direction it was going in. And we just found... Uh, a new shop manager who was I mean, just incredible. Like, Wonderful. And, yeah, hopefully we'll be working with her again in the future in, in some capacity because she's just a, a brilliant person. And then strike three yeah. of the of the the blows, I think, that the that knocked us out was the rent increase. So Shoreditch is a obviously a very trendy area. Um, there are still just about clinging on in the um, independent businesses in Shoreditch but it is changing very very rapidly and landlords that have been sitting on property for a while are now flipping them and developing them quite rapidly and we were lucky enough to get the space on Curtin Road at quite a, a good price to start with because we knew it was an insecure lease because the landlords were going for planning permission to turn it into into a block of flats um so we we took a risk on that unfortunately it it, well, I mean, it paid off for us, but the landlord then tried to renegotiate the lease quite early on because his planning permission had been um, turned down. Then three years later, we got to our renegotiating price break clause and the rent pretty much doubled overnight. <laughs> it, it almost doubled. And we were offered a, a much longer lease, but at a very, very high price. And we'd also would have had to have paid a premium. So it was a nail in a coffin. It was, much. yeah, because you you look at the cost of a tattoo. So if someone's in for for sort of quite a big piece and they're going to be there three to four hours, then you're looking about three hundred pounds. You then cut that in half because you give one hundred and fifty to the artist. Then you have to pay your tax, your VAT, and rent from the studio. That and your shop manager, your shop manager's uh, wages. And all of the equipment that that needs to be bought, all the stock that yeah. we replenish every time a 
a chair breaks, we have to replace it. Yeah, every time a chair breaks, you've got, I mean, hygiene, obviously, be clean was one of our mantras. Like hygiene was of the utmost importance. So you're spending a fortune on on all of the cleaning supplies that, that are necessary for that. So the costs on our end were significant. Mm-hmm. And then once that, that rent increase came, we... We sat down and we looked at it and we realised we could we could make it work, but it would it would require so much of our time um, because what we wanted to do with the brand is is start holding community events, which was your idea, which I think was a great idea of getting people involved in the brand outside of it's not just a tattoo studio. It's a community. It's a like-minded community. And we had, you know, we had some artists that were really into yoga, um, meditation. Um, we had people that were in- interested in planting and reading. And we just had... You're going to do a book club? We were going to do a book club. Yeah, it was going to be great. It was a community and we our customers were like-minded and it we could have played on that so much more. And I think that it goes back to that point of if we were giving 100% of our time to it, we would have done all of that sooner mm. and the rent increase wouldn't have been such a problem or we would have built up such a community that we could move out of Shoreditch to somewhere else and we could absorb the costs of setting up a new studio again. But because we hadn't done that sooner, because we hadn't built a community and spent all of our time growing a community around us because we were living in that 100%, it was too late by that point. And, and and another blow, actually, blow number four was our top earning artist decided to leave. Um, absolutely fair enough, but wanted to go to a different studio who were offering a much, much higher percentage. So offering him 70% instead of 50%, which is something that we just couldn't offer based on the figures that we've just broken down. There, there was no money in the pot. Yeah, so uh, that was that was quite heartbreaking because you you build your studio's name and you build the artists that are along with you, but then they can quite easily be poached. And if you are a studio that's not operating on, I mean, no, I I don't know whether that studio was or not, but if you are operating on a cash-only basis, then you can afford to give artists better deals. And so in terms of business, I mean, as soon as he announced to us that he'd been offered 70%, we were like, well, you should take that. I mean, (laughs) for your your own business, because we we've always had all of our businesses have always wanted to benefit artists that's that's like one of our core things that we've always wanted to do so as soon as he mentioned that we were like yeah go for it but we did actually negotiate as well we did actually have terms where we we said with the artists then okay well if you start earning this much per week then you can go up to this percentage and if you earn this much per week you can go up to this percentage so we worked out a way to make that possible but it relied on their saying sales being at a certain level which made it you know a lot more clinical and a lot more business like in terms you know it made things a bit harsher within within the environment so again it comes down to being penalized for trying to do things properly and trying to be completely 100% above board and then not being present 100% of the time so people maybe not necessarily sticking to the rules that you've set or the the manifesto that you've laid out and and carrying your brand in exactly the way that you want it to and then relying on you know relying on other people who who have their own careers to think about Mm. which is totally fair enough yeah yeah so i i mean i really think it's is probably one of the hardest decisions i've ever had to make and i and certainly like that and that's maybe in my whole life and definitely is the hardest business decision it was heartbreaking that we've ever had to make yeah yeah because we did pour so i mean remember your blisters from when you built the back wall oh i gave myself chemical burns yeah yeah 
from putting brick clips on the back wall. There was a lovely brick wall that I that wasn't actually brick. I made it brick, and I didn't realise that cement was corrosive and was happily um, using my finger to get the excess concrete off in between the bricks. And at four in the morning. I kind of looked down at my fingers and realised that I had little blisters appearing and that, that I'd just give myself chemical burns on my fingers. Yeah, that was one of the, the injuries of uh, setup. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's the things that people don't see. I remember we did our big launch opening event and like all our friends came down and loads of contacts and people that we've met because like you're trying to make a big splash and, and there's just this beautiful space that people walked into, but they didn't see. When we inherited that place, it was, it, was a, it was a calf, wasn't it? And the, so the... The walls were lined with grease. There was there's this lighting rig that went around the top of the space, and there were these spider webs hanging down from that that were encased in grease. But I think it took a day and a half to clean, didn't it? With those um, wonder wipes. We wonder used. wipes, yeah. Classic old wonder that wipes. They're amazing, but but I mean, yeah, people don't see we the, physically the work built that walls. goes behind when yeah. you launch something like that. I learned how to build a wall. Yeah. Using yeah, YouTube. Built, yeah, I taught myself to build a wall, a stud wall. I got myself a hammer drill. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, a bit of help from Tim. We put so, a wall up. So I, I think I don't, I definitely don't regret having the studio. It was, it was such a learning curve. It, it taught us how to, we, we had all of these theories that we'd learned, things that we'd done with Graffiti Life, but that's always been a B2B business, like business to business. This was B2C, business to like, for consumers so general public like anyone could be walking in off the street it's like that's it's just general public that you're dealing with it's the first time that we've done a b2c business i enjoyed that yeah it it was was, lovely it was really nice um and and yeah we had an idea that that definitely works and and i think yeah just the maths and the time is is what came down to it but I'm, i'm so glad of the experience and everything that i learned from it was it was invaluable yeah same here i'm really proud of proud of it as a whole and I think that I mean coronavirus aside all of the artists found great studios to move on to we're really good friends with 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 most of them we've got a lovely network of people you know the shop manager Monica hopefully we're going to be working with her for a long time and it was it all in all it was a great experience but it was really tiring and I think the one thing that we've learned over the years of being in business 10 years now is that we had this massive kind of growth spur and ambition to start new things and do new things. And roughly every four years, we were starting something new. And then it got to a point where we realised that we'd spread ourselves really thin. Mm, Burning ourselves out. We were burning out and we'd spread ourselves thin and we weren't doing any of the businesses justice. We had one shop manager. So when that shop manager is on holiday... We were there. I would go in and work the desk. I was cleaning the floors. Yeah. You were doing the emails. It was, uh, yeah, it's a lot when you've got three other businesses to run as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, weekends, evenings, yeah, it took so much of our time. Someone, is, yeah, the, oh, the day that the you were speaking at a conference, I thought you were speaking at DNA Awards, I think, and then uh, we got a phone call saying the basement's flooding and one of the pipes had burst from yeah. the flats upstairs and it was just pouring into our basement and that, that happened twice. So you're coming off the stage to applause and the adrenaline's high and then you're literally <laughs> running getting completely soaking wet with buckets and buckets of, of water that you're dishing out from the, the 
flooding basement. So when you've got three businesses that you're you're actually physically running and you're really tired from that and it gets to a Saturday and you think I'm just gonna have a day off and then you get a phone call from the shop manager saying, I think we've had an attempted break in, the, the back door's broken and it, you all of a sudden your your heart is going and you're running to the shop and it's it's exhausting and I think that we've learnt to kind of think about our time a little bit more carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that was uh, useful to people. Um, understanding. I hope it wasn't too depressing. Uh, I th- like there is such a there is such a positive like experience for me. Yeah. I like I love I love the parlor brand. I love everything about what we created. I'm so proud of it that, and I re- I've really enjoyed this chat. I yeah. really enjoyed just kind it's of nice processing remember, it and going yeah, through it. Nice to remember the good times. It's not just. Uh, and it's not even that long ago. It's not like it's it, in retrospect now we can see the positive. It was literally a few weeks ago that we closed the shop. Yeah. And it, as much as it was a heartbreaking decision to make, we can look back and I think be proud of, of, of what we did and how it ended, hopefully. Yeah. So hopefully there's some lessons in there for people. Give it a try. I mean, just just do your thing. I mean, I, I'm so I'm so much more thankful that we that we did it. We tried it and it didn't work. Um, and I feel like maybe in the future it might be something that we revisit if we do have more time to put into a project. That's that's always there, and it is an industry that I that I do love, and I love because I loved providing those experiences for people. Um, but yeah, hope, so hopefully you guys have got some learning from from our experiences there and and our quote unquote failure. Yeah, I think that that the main takeaway point. I would emphasise here is is whatever you do, do it 100%. Don't spread yourself too thinly. You have to love what you're doing. And, and for a time, at least, you have to give it everything. And that's just what we didn't do with Parlour. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone has any questions or any feedback or you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us a message on Instagram at rebelscreate. You can also send us an email, connect at creativerebels.co. And until next time, we'll see you later.